0: And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions.
1: The South Dakota Stories, Volume 7. My trip to South Dakota was the best summer ever. Now, I don't need to go to Mars because I've been to the Badlands. And I caught a bigger walleye than Dad when we went to the Missouri River. Then I rode my bike through these huge rocks called needles. Ooh, I also saw my first herd of bison, even a fuzzy furry baby one. I can't wait to go back and see more. There's so much South Dakota, so little time.
2: I've always been fascinated by serial killers. Uh, Maybe because I personally have never loved uh, quote-unquote following the rules. These guys really don't give a shit about the rules. Like, they break the most taboo rules we have in society. Rules I actually don't want to break, uh, by the way. Uh, Assault, rape, kidnapping, torture, murder. And then the the sociopath serial killer, they don't even feel remorse over the horrible things they've done. Like, I feel guilty when I forget to set the trash out uh, on the curb on Tuesday morning after my wife has reminded me yet again to do it the night before, and I still forget. I'm like, God, you fucking idiot. Cummins, come on, pull your head out of your ass. Like, I feel guilt and shame over over little things like that. These people suffer no guilt, no shame. And in a very sick, disturbing way, it's like they're more free than the rest of us. They do whatever the fuck they want, you know, within the realms of trying to not get caught. But, like, that's their only motivation a lot of times is they just don't want to get caught. And uh, and, and it's fascinating how they can be... In some ways, just like the rest of us, you know, they're born the same way. They can get sick. They can die. They walk, talk, breathe like the rest of us. But they're not like us. They're almost like a different species, you know. But 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 again, it's that that that, that interesting conundrum of but they're not. But you know, somebody you know could be one. You know, you, it's just crazy. It's a and I think another aspect regarding our fascination with serial killers, of which you share, or you wouldn't be listening right now. Uh, I think we want to learn more about them so we feel safer. Like, we want to see the monsters coming. We don't want to feel vulnerable to the darkness. So we watch, we read, we listen to their tales. So, you know, so we won't make the same mistakes their victims must have made. Because they must have made mistakes, right? You couldn't just live your life, you know, the correct way and get nabbed by one of these monsters, could you? I mean, I mean we're smarter than that, aren't we? Yeah, you know, we, we must be. We, we wouldn't let one of these sick fucks get a hold of us. Well, boys and girls, uh, I'm here to tell you this week that real-life monster Ted Bundy probably could have got you. One of the most prolific and disturbing serial killers in American history, Bundy described himself as, quote, the most cold-hearted son of a bitch you'll ever meet. One of his defense attorneys, Polly Nelson, described Ted as, quote, the very definition of heartless evil. Get ready to know, maybe a little more than you wanted about the man, another one of Ted's attorneys, John Henry Brown, described as a rare type of sociopath, quote, a self-aware sociopath. Bundy knew he was a monster. He knew he was evil. Find out more on this morbidly fascinating episode of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Alright, first off, thanks for listening, everybody, once again. Uh special thanks to time sucker Brandon Reyes. Uh he asked for this episode on Twitter. He wanted to know uh who my favorite serial killer was, which I you know it is kind of a weird thing, like favorite. I mean, I would say none of them are <laughs> my favorites, they're all pieces of shit. But you know, I I get I get what you meant. uh Brandon. You want to know which one I'm I was fascinated the most by. And uh, and I, yeah, and I picked Bundy. Uh, uh second, uh my American listeners, uh, I hope you had a, a good Thanksgiving. I spent mine with family, and I'm thankful for uh, for that, and very thankful that so many of you are listening to this podcast. I hope you continue to enjoy it, and uh, not going to mess around anymore with the welcomings. I got to get right into this because we got we got a lot of ground to try and cover in 30 minutes. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. So uh, yeah, I picked Bundy because you know I've been fascinated with him since I guess since I heard about him, and and, and a, a large part of the reason is is he didn't look like what I think of as a serial killer. Like, you know, like Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, John Wayne Gacy, those dudes look fucking creepy. Like, those are the kind of guys that if you saw them, I, I think just based on all the pictures I've seen of all of those guys, you'd be like, ugh, what's up with that dude? Like, they just looked off, for lack of a better word. They looked, yeah, like something is not right there. Uh, you know, yeah, just the kind of look, you know, where you can like, you know, when, when they catch them, you're like, well, yeah, I, I could see that dude having a head in his fridge. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's something comforting in that. It makes you think you could recognize another creep and avoid his fuck dungeon, right? Don't go near that guy. He's got a thin mustache, greasy hair, dead eyes, and he's handing out candy next to his rape van. And you're like, got it. Not going near that dude. Bundy looked like the kind of dude who warned you about the kind of dude I just described. Like, like the guy you could trust. Like the guy who could approach you and be like, hey, man, this isn't a safe place for you to walk around alone at night. I, I just got off work at the hospital. I, I would sleep a lot better knowing that you made it home safe. And then you get into his car, and he'd smash you with a crowbar, and four hours later, your head is in a fridge, and he's fucking your corpse. Yeah. Uh, which are not, that, Those aren't random hypotheticals. It's the kind of shit the dude did. He's a monster, terrifying. The scariest person to me is the one you can't see coming, the proverbial uh, wolf in sheep's clothing. You know, the one who seems sweet, you know. It's, it's why the scariest Stephen King movie to me I ever saw was Misery. You know, Kathy Bates played this perfectly. This woman who, you know, her little town, you know, thinks she's just a sweet loner. Maybe a little weird, but not murderous, you know? But then when given the opportunity, she's capable and quite happy to commit evil acts. But this episode isn't about Annie Wilkes. This is about Ted motherfucking Bundy. So let's get to know him a little bit, a little overview, with a Time Suck Timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a Time Suck Timeline. All right, November 24th, 1947, Theodore Ted Robert Cowell is born in the quaint city of Burlington, Vermont, Uh, and Ted described his childhood and death row interviews as being pretty normal, you know, good even, Uh, but but really, (laughs) really definitely not that normal. Um, First off, he he never found out who his dad actually was, who his biological dad was. His mom, Eleanor Louise Cowell, she first claimed his biological dad was an Air Force vet, uh, Lloyd Marshall um that's who's listed on the birth certificate but then later she said it was a sailor named jack worthington no one will ever know for sure neither guy was ever located we will never know the answer to that question what we do know is that whoever his biological dad was the dude was gone not uh in the picture um other than (laughs) there is a tiny bit of speculation that his grandfather could have fathered him through incest but there is no proof of that whatsoever and again there's never going to be a dna test so we're never going to know, uh, his mom has passed, so we're never going to know the answer to that, but there is speculation that his, his grandpa, uh, fathered him, and, uh, I don't think from what I read that's true, but, uh, but I'm going to, uh, reveal some stuff in a little bit that might make you think, well, maybe, um, because, uh, here's what happens, uh, In the 40s, having a child out of wedlock, especially like when the dad was unknown, you know, it was was very scandalous, you know, if you cared at all about social status. And so to avoid shame, uh, his mom did something super fucking weird uh, in any era. She moved in with her parents in Philly and allowed Ted to grow up thinking she was his sister and that his grandparents were his parents. So weird. Uh, Grandparents, by the way, who didn't seem totally mentally stable, uh, grandma mom, uh, had received electroshock therapy for depression. So, you know, she, she probably wasn't like the life of the party. She was clearly mentally ill. Um, his, his grandpa dad uh, allegedly did things like throw his sister aunt down the stairs for sleeping in one time and I guess regularly like beat the shit out of the family dog, uh, which sadly was probably pretty common in the 50s. That's one of those things I read when I, at first I was like, God, that son of a bitch. But then I would, I mean, we're never going to know this, but if there were stats on like how many how many dudes beat their dogs in the 50s, I bet it would be off the fucking charts. That's just my gut feeling. Uh, I feel like, you know, like, like beating your kids was socially acceptable. <laughs> like in the 50s, like way more than today. Who's giving a shit about the dog? I don't feel, I feel, I don't feel like, I don't even know if PETA was around then. I'm not, I, I doubt it. There definitely wasn't like Petco and like Halloween costumes for dogs that you could get on Amazon and stuff. So, you know, Grandpa beat the dog, but as did probably most of his neighbors. So, okay, that one's not that abnormal to me. Um, but Ted allegedly did abuse animals himself as a kid Like cats and stuff You know, Which is an early warning sign You may be a sociopath And again this is speculation Not proof uh, uh, If you don't know what a sociopath is Listen to episode 4 of this podcast I cover it uh, Also when he was 3 There was this story floating around In a bunch of different um, articles About how he ranged a bunch of knives Around his aunt's sister uh, While she slept So he's 3 years old She wakes up <laughs> Some kind of circle of knives Which kids do weird shit But that is That's fucking creepy like, if, one of my, if I would have woken up around one of my kids, I'm going to say it would have been Monroe, who would have put me in a circle of knives, my daughter, if I had to put money on it. I would have That would have, <laughs> that would have made me nervous. If I don't have a lock on my door before that, I'm getting one after the knife circle. Um, he had a strained relationship uh, uh, with his uh, stepdad. He uh, was a target of bullying. He was going to have a, a stepdad later. Um, uh, when Ted was four, but again, target of bullying, I, I was fucking bullied. I'm not out there killing women, most people were bullied at some point in their childhood, so I, I, I always am skeptical about the, like, well, oh, I was bullied as a kid, it was just, it was fucking everybody was, you know, there's yeah, that's how, that's how school works you know, what, what kid was never bullied uh, that kid probably ends up being the most fucked up of all you know, you probably, it's, it's hard to maintain be, being the alpha bully your whole life you know, you're gonna, you're gonna slump, and then you're not gonna be prepared for it, because you weren't slapped around as a kid it's gonna hit you harder than it should when you're you know 30 and you can't fucking punch your boss or you, or you do and you get fired and then your life spirals down. Anyway, I don't know. Okay, so anyway, Ted is four. He's out in Philly living with grandpa, dad, grandma, mom, uh, fucking sister, mom. It's all very confusing. Uh, when he's four, his, his sister mom marries an army cook named John Bundy. They move out to Tacoma, Washington. That's how he gets to the Northwest. Uh, and everything I've read says he didn't realize his sister was his mom until he was in college. But he, he, he must have had questions. Like why would his quote unquote parents send him across the fucking country from Philly to Tacoma to live with his sister? Why would he take his sister's husband last name? A lot of conflicting info about how Ted end, ended up finding out um, that he was you know a, a bastard, so to speak, and that his grandparents were his parents. Some say he was teased growing up about it but it, but the most legitimate articles I seem to read said that he, he found out in college, and that's going to come up later in this podcast, but, but regardless, he had a weird fucking childhood. There must have been questions, you know, like you're feeling like your parents kind of abandoned you to ship you off with your sister, I don't know, So weird stuff going on there, but however, there are no stories of him being abused, no stories of him witnessing his mom being abused, he wasn't molested, uh, other than the weird sister-mom-grandpa-dad situation, nothing you could point out and be like, aha, that's why he became a serial killer. You know, no, no, uh, no stories of, you know, Ted confided in a junior high uh, school counselor that he liked to sodomize Labradors and, you know, wear necklaces made out of tabby cat vaginas, you know, where you'd be like, okay, there, fucking, there you go. That's how you become a serial killer. You wear cat vagina necklaces. <laughs> okay. There's no way he could be like me because I don't do that. No, there's no big, like gigantic red flag of like, okay, that's what set him on that path. So. 1965, he graduates high school, uh, was a good student, graduated, you know, had good grades, Tacoma, Washington. Uh, by the way, Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer, who was convicted of 48 separate murders, uh, Ted was, they don't know exactly, but 36 is the general consensus of how many people they, they think can definitely be attributed to Ted Bundy. Maybe 50 or more, I don't know. But but Gary Ridgway, 48, uh, he graduated from nearby Thai High School in the Tacoma area at the age of 20 in 1969, so they, the two of the most prolific American, American serial killers in the 20th century were only two years apart and were in high school at the same time in the Tacoma, Washington area, uh, both later killing all along the I-5 corridor uh, around Tacoma and Seattle. That's a fucking weird coincidence, man. That's why, that's why the Pacific Northwest, I think, will always be associated with serial killers, uh, or at least in my lifetime. 1972, Bundy receives a bachelor's degree in psychology from the University of Washington. Dude takes a job uh, tracking habitual criminals for King County Law and Justice Planning Office in Washington State. Becomes politically active, working for the Republican Party, helping with campaigns. See, again, you know, you, I feel like we'd be more comfortable hearing about, like, you know, he uh, uh, he worked in a morgue. And uh, he was in charge of, you know, taking the eyes out of corpses. I don't know. <laughs> Something creepy would, would be like, okay, there you go. That's why he's uh, he was a, he seemingly not only like just a normal dude, but like a good dude. Uh, 1973, enters law school at the University of Puget Sound at Tacoma. Uh, he wouldn't end up graduating because he, he got a little distracted after a breakup, uh, killing a shit ton of young women. But, but he did give it a go. And that's where we're going to get to the, uh, the attacks here. January 4th, 1974, year of the earliest assault definitely attributed to Bundy. 27 year old, uh, Bundy. Uh, Entered the basement of 18-year-old Joni Lentz shortly after midnight, bludgeoned her with a metal rod, ripped from her bedpost, jammed it so viciously uh, into her vajay, severely damaged her internal organs, and uh, it was still there when her roommates found her the next morning. She was unconscious. She was was in a coma for 10 days, suffered permanent brain damage, and yet when it came to encounters with Bundy, she would be one of the lucky ones uh, because this sick fuck was just getting started, and it was extremely rare to get away. Um, she, she's the only one that I can think, well, no, no, there was one other later on who was actually attacked, uh, you know, like attacked in private, if you will, and then got away, like without, you know, like he tried to abduct some people and didn't abduct them, but there was only a couple that he actually, you know, assaulted, but didn't kill. Okay. So, so that was January 4, 1974, less than a month later, February 1st, he breaks into the room of another university of Washington student, Linda Ann Healy, uh, his cousin's roommate, weird, uh, knocked her unconscious, dressed her up, wrapped her in a bedsheet, uh, carried her away. She was never seen alive again. This is his, his first confirmed uh, murder. March twelfth, nineteen seventy four. So you know, barely a month after that, kidnaps and murders Donna Gale, nineteen year old Evergreen State College student. April seventeenth, another month later, eighteen year old Central Washington student out of Ellensburg, Susan Rancourt, kidnapped and killed. May 6th, not even a month later, 20-year-old Kathy Parks, Oregon State University student, disappears from the campus in Corvallis, Oregon. Again, less than a month later, June 1st, 1974, 22-year-old Brenda Ball, first non-college student Bundy is known to have murdered, kidnapped outside the Flame Tavern in Burien, Washington, which is near Tacoma. Uh, Witnesses describe Brenda being last uh, seen, talking to a man with his arm in a sling, uh, this man with his arm in a sling described as, as, as talking to several of Bundy's victims around this time because he pretended to be injured to lower women's guards uh, her smash skull was dis- discovered in 1975 10 days after that June 11th Bundy kidnaps and murders 18 year old co-ed George Ann Hawkins back to UW July 14th just over a month uh, he fucking goes nuts at Sammamish State Park and he, he t- gets two women, uh, which is just east of Seattle in Issaquah, Washington. He kidnapped both 18-year-old Denise Naslin, 23-year-old Janice Ott. Uh, confessions obtained many years later, supposedly tortured them together, forcing one to watch the other die. What a sick, sick motherfucker. Again, this dude is a monster. So 1974, like the first half of, of 1974, in a six-month period, eight young women disappear around Washington, uh, you know, he goes down to Oregon for the one, but around the western Washington area, uh, all between the ages of 18 and 22. Um, and, then, and then Bundy takes off. He, he, he leaves the state. He heads to Utah. All these women were strikingly beautiful, by the way, which uh, I don't I, I don't I never know fully why that makes it seem worse to me. Like when you see the victims and they're just like these beautiful young women, I guess it seems like they had more potential. That's such a fucked up thought, but it is true. Like, if all the women would have been just, like, horrifically ugly, I would have, yeah, it still would have been horrible. Absolutely. One life shouldn't be more than another. But on some weird level in my brain that I can't help, it seems like a smidge, this is fucked up, but it seems a smidge less sad. I, it shouldn't. It's, that's such a messed up thought. But I, if you're honest with yourself, you know you're fucking having the same thought. Why is that? You know, it just seems like, oh, man, they really had, like, an amazing life in front of them, and he just snuffed it out. <laughs> I, I feel guilty now even saying that out loud, but it's like, I don't know why I think that. But it is, uh, it's true. So it's that uh, these women, I mean, young, 18 to 22, you know, going to college, prime of their life, and this fucking monster grabs them. Uh, but, you know, I guess if you were, you know, ugly in the Northwest at that time, you had, a better, you had a better chance of living. You know, so there are benefits to being ugly. There are definitely benefits. Um, and, and By the way, this is just a weird thing here. Uh, during this whole time, he had at least uh, one girlfriend. So while he's doing all this stuff, uh, Liz Koppler uh, dated Ted on and off, mostly on, during all the Northwest killings and for a few years afterwards. And knew Ted was sneaking out in the middle of the night. Uh, She she thought mostly he was just cheating on her, but she did call the police three separate times. None of the calls were taken seriously because they were getting like, you know, after a few of these murders started going, they were getting, the hotline was getting like hundreds of calls a day. So, uh, okay, so he takes off. You know, he's feeling the heat over there. Things are getting too intense. He um, takes off to Utah. He applied to law school at the University of Utah. He got accepted uh, for the fall of 74. And then on September 2nd, on his way over there in Idaho, southern Idaho, uh, kills a hitchhiker, you know. And then and then October 18th, once he gets there, he kills Melissa Smith, 17-year-old daughter of the Midvale, Utah, police chief. Ah, this is messed up too, man. Post-mortem records indicate she was kept alive for at least five days after being kidnapped. She was, she was raped, sodomized, strangled. Um, yeah, this guy, man, uh, October 31st, you know, less than two weeks later kidnaps and kills another 17 year old girl, Laura aim in Lehigh, Utah, November 8th. I mean, he's really escalated he's faster and faster. Like what? Eight days later. Uh, he tries to get somebody. Carol Durant is approached by Ted Bundy. Who's claiming to be a police officer. He's, he's in a, you know, he has a uniform on in a Roseland, uh, Utah parking lot, tries to kidnap her. She gets away. This is going to come back to haunt him. So seventy four, seventy five additional victims, uh, Debbie Kent, Carol, uh, Karen Campbell, Julie Cunningham, 12, 12-year-old Lynette Culver, Susan Curtis, all, all vanished from Utah and Colorado. He would take, took a couple ski trips uh, to do some skiing and killing. That's how he, I guess, blew off steam when he got, you know, done with the work week of killing people uh, in Utah. He's like, man, I need a break. I'm going to go kill some people in Colorado. So finally, on August sixteenth, August sixteenth, nineteen seventy-five. Excuse me, this motherfucker finally gets arrested. He gets pulled over in Granger, Utah, a suburb of Salt Lake City, and uh, and just a random happenstance is mostly how he gets arrested uh this cop noticed this car parked in front of this volkswagen beetle which he drove in front of the, in front of his neighbor's house and he knew that the parents who lived in that house of these teenage girls who were staying there were on vacation for the weekend so he knew the girls were there alone he sees a car he doesn't recognize parked in front of him some dude he doesn't recognize it in the driver's seat he flashes his lights you know do you want to go question this guy ted takes off drives off the cop tracks him down pulls him over scuffle ensues but then uh, uh, he does arrest Bundy. Doesn't know who he is. Doesn't know that he's the guy from the Northwest at this point, because because the because the authorities have no fucking idea uh, who's doing this still at this point. Um, he's not you know Bundy isn't wanted or anything at this point. And then in the VW Beetle, and I'm gonna have a picture of this on TimesuckPodcast.com on this episode uh, was like his kit, his abduction kit. There was a, a ski mask, a second ski mask made out of pantyhose, crowbar. Which was kind of his his knockout weapon of choice: handcuffs, trash bags, coil of rope, ice pick, you know, burglary-related tools. He said these were all like self-defense things. It's like, shut, get the fuck out of here! Really, you need you are going to have for your self-defense. You are going to have a, um, a, a two ski masks. Just hold, hold on, hold on, man. Hold, hey, buddy, stop beating me for a second. I am going to put on this ski mask that makes me feel more confident. Actually, I am going to put on two ski masks that makes me feel more confident in my defense attempts. And then hold on, stop beating me. I'm gonna get a crowbar in my left hand. I'm gonna get a I, take. Hey, stop punching me in the face. I'm gonna get an ice pack and ice pick in my right hand. And now I feel like some weird uh, <laughs> kind of watchman type, you know, uh, era superhero. What the fuck? Okay. So you know, the, and they don't buy it either. The police don't buy it either. Uh, but apparently, he was very always whenever he's questioned by police for these things, he was always like very calm, just like, "Hey, man, it's no big deal. Here, I can explain." never got rattled because he's a sociopath. He doesn't feel normal emotion. Uh, but this Utah detective connects Bunny to the Duranch attempted kidnapping. All right? So now they have reason to search his apartment. And uh, evidence is his apartment connects him to some missing women in Colorado so on March 1st, 1976, Bundy is, is quickly convicted in Utah for the attempted kidnapping of Durant. She identifies him. And then he is extradited to Colorado for some murder charges because a couple of the women uh, he killed there. He had uh, like pamphlets and different things, evidence of being in the exact same town and some other things on the exact same day they were taken. So he's enough for him to go on trial. So then June 7th, 1977, he's, he's awaiting trial. He, I'm sorry, he's going. To, he's, he's on trial in Colorado. Check this shit out. This is prison escape number one. This dude, man, this is nothing that made me fascinated about uh, Ted Bundy. He escaped from prison twice after being arrested for fucking murder. Like, I don't even know if anyone's ever done that before. Twice? I doubt it. I doubt it. Not in modern history. So he's in preparation for a hearing in the Karen uh, Campbell murder trial in Colorado. Uh, he's taken to the Pitkin County Courthouse in Aspen. He, he said he needed to go there and, you know... Uh, get his affairs in order. Uh, There's a court recess. He, he was allowed to visit the courthouse's law library. And then he jumped from a second-story window and just ran off. How do they not have fucking bars on this window? He just <laughs> runs off. He did sprain his right ankle. Um, and but he, but he makes it for like five, six days. He, 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 but he, he gets caught because it's like winter. Um, oh, I'm sorry, it's not winter. What am I talking about? It's June. It's not winter, but but he goes, he goes out in the wilderness and he gets like lost on this Aspen Mountain. He hangs out for an, in an abandoned hunting cabin for a couple days. He it loses his sense of direction. He's trying to get to the town. He couldn't Crested Butte, but he couldn't figure out which way to go. Uh, but uh, even though he got caught before he got caught, uh, one of there was like a search party looking for him. And check out how charismatic this dude was. Uh, a search party fucking runs into him, finds him. Search party member, armed search party member. Ted convinces this guy to be like, nah, man, that's not me. That's yeah, uh, I know, yeah, I know I look exactly like the guy in that picture. I know I'm all kind of grun- grungy and I've been staying in the cabin and I'm limping from my, <laughs> jumping out my window, but that's not. He convinces this dude. This dude's like, okay, okay, yeah, no, I get it. You're just out hiking. Mm-hmm. Yep, you're just, uh, that's, <laughs> <laughs> careful, buddy. Don't hike around here anymore looking exactly like a Ted Bundy. And he gets away, but then they, uh, he, he makes it to this, um, finds a car, finds this Cadillac. And uh, and he actually does start to drive off, but he weaving in and out of his lane, and he gets pulled over. Man, freak, freak traffic accidents or, or traffic incidents are this, like the fucking downfall of this guy. So that you know, this is the second like car related incident that trips him up. So now he's back in prison, not for that long. Not for that long. That was June June seventh was his first escape attempt. December thirtieth, he's back in custody. Um, and he's in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, in in this jail waiting another trial. Somehow, this fucking guy acquires a hacksaw blade and five hundred dollars in cash. How lax were the prisons and jails in Colorado in the seventies? Jesus Christ, it's like a weird movie. And then he 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 loses a bunch of weight. He starves himself quickly so he can um he hacks into this like grate. There's like a grate in his cell, like a I don't know some kind of screen or something. Maybe like an air conditioning thing or some kind of some kind of ventilation shaft, and he gets skinny enough to go through there. Needed the hacksaw. Apparently, no one is fucking paying attention, attention to this guy. It's not like he's wanted for murder or anything, or you know, being on, has been charged with murder. And then he just fucking sneaks out. He 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 crawls through, uh, and I guess another like somebody in the cell next to him was like, "Hey guys, I can hear somebody crawling in the walls," and they're like, "Yeah yeah yeah," fucking laziest cops ever, and he gets out. He uh, gets <laughs> out. And um, not funny, but it's just crazy that he was able to escape so quickly. And then by January 8th, he is in Florida. So he escapes in the winter uh, from a Colorado uh, jail. And, and, you know, eight days later, he is, he's on the loose in fucking Tallahassee. He, he has an alias of Chris Hagen, and nobody knows where he is. And, and then by January 15th, in the, in the early hours of Super Bowl Sunday... Bundy strangles two members of the Florida state chapter of the uh, Chi 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 Omega sorority, Lisa Levy and Margaret Bowman, sexually assaulting one of them. Then he assaults two other girls in that sorority before clubbing and severely injuring another girl a few blocks away. So he attacks five women, kills two of them, leaves town by February 9th. uh, He is struck again. He rapes and murders a 12 year old girl uh, named Kimberly Leach in Lakeland, Florida. February 12th, he has stolen uh, a new Volkswagen Beetle. You know, he's having a hard time finding work with the fucking country looking for him. He gets stopped by a Tallahassee police officer, David Lee, gets pulled over, fights with this dude, is subdued, arrested. When they take his prints back at the station, they figure out who the fuck he is, and he's charged with recent sorority murders. And then he goes on trial. He's found guilty of the Flo- Florida sorority murders and the 12-year-old girl, con- but then confesses to eventually to over 30 killings. Most of them at the end, which is not not, just to kind of like delay his execution, by the way. Uh, So after all that, he actually he he was only convicted of three murders, but he gets two death penalties for. And then January 24th, 1989, 11 years after his last murder at 7 a.m. in the morning, uh, in the morning, he's executed in the electric chair known as Old Sparky in the Rayford prison in Stark, Florida. His last words were, I'd like you to give my love to my family and friends. And then more than 2000 volts were applied to this piece of shit. For a little less than two minutes, he was pronounced dead. Uh, Crowds outside the prison, cheered, sent out fireworks. True monster died that day. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. Okay, so after after that timeline, the questions that popped up into my head were, one, how did he do it, and two, why did he do it? First, let's get into the how. All right, the kidnap method uh, Bundy did. He, he was big on luring his victims over to like his vehicle by asking for help while he had his arm in a sling, kind of like the Silence of the Lambs if you ever saw that movie. He was like, "Uh, oh, could you could you help me just go to my van?" You know, and then he fucking gets the girl. That was I'm sure inspired by Bundy, but he would wear his like his arm in a sling or some kind of cast on his leg, uh, limp and be on crutches. You know, so it lowers women's guards that they, they think, oh, "Okay, I get it. This guy needs help. He's you know his arm's busted." And then fucking bam crowbar he would knock him unconscious and then drag him out to some place and have his way with him uh, after he abducted him uh, typically like sexually assaulted strangled uh death by strangulation, he would drive his victim to some isolated area and uh, and spend you know a lot of time this kind of having sex uh, with the women before and then after killing them, he would come back like a lot of serial killers do and uh assault the corpse until it had reached a state of decay that it was no longer uh, Physically possible? This fucking piece of shit, Jesus Christ! Um, and he would take Polaroid pictures, I guess, of, of a lot of them too, as, as some kind of memento. Um, he claimed he worked so hard to commit the murders, he wanted to remember all the details. Jesus. Um, he would apply sometimes makeup to them, wash their hair, get them to look like how he how he wanted. Ah, oh, Jesus! Uh, he he uh, he he kept at least, uh, according to him, twelve of their heads. Or I'm sorry, uh, four. No, decapitated at least 12 of them and kept at least four of the skulls in his, in his fridge or, or head, you know, heads in the fridge and then skulls around the house as trophies. Oh, my God, man. It's really, really sick, really, really sick. And before we get into the why he did all this, uh, let's take a break from the super heavy, super dark crime details with some weird facts. Weird facts. All right, here's, here's the first weird fact. Uh, Ted Bundy was a suicide operator. Like a suicide hotline operator. Yeah, in the early 70s. And he worked with future crime author Ann Rule, a woman who ended up writing the definitive autobiography on Bundy called The Stranger Beside Me. And she and other co workers remembered him as being a skilled volunteer who, quote, helped ease troubled callers and save lives. The fucking irony of that, I man. I guess he just wanted to play God. You know, he'd decide who lives and dies. Uh, he rescued a toddler in, in, in 1970. Uh 3-year-old boy who wandered away from his parents fell into Seattle's Green Lake. Bundy jumped into the water, rescued this kid. Uh I'm guessing if it was a girl, maybe he wouldn't have tried as hard. He seemed to have some serious issues with women. He also helped catch the Green River Killer uh while he was in prison in, in Florida. Uh he he consulted with uh Northwest police officers to try and catch uh the Green River Killer. You know, he he didn't he he wasn't caught until years after Ted died, but I guess he tried to do that, and he may have a daughter. Florida law at the time of Bundy's incarceration, uh, I, I guess you could have conjugal visits like during the trial. Like once he was found guilty and he was on death row, no conjugal visits. From what I understand, you could before that, and and he uh, dated from prison and then married this woman named Carol Ann Boone, and supposedly uh, a lot of a lot of rumors around the web say he fathered a child. Can't can't prove this. No one's ever come forward, and who would? Who's gonna be like, yeah, uh huh? I'm Ted Bundy's daughter. You bet. I look just like my dad. Weird facts. Okay, so why did Ted do it? Uh, Ted, this is Ted blamed porn uh, <laughs> for the for the murders. He blamed he blamed an absent father, the media, society, his grandpa dad, um, anyone but himself. But the porn one, this this is this is such a, a, a cop out. I'm gonna I'm gonna play you. We're gonna listen to, to him telling you. Uh, why he thinks he did it. And I've met a lot of men who were motivated to commit violence just like me. And without exception, every one of them was deeply involved in pornography without question, without exception, deeply influenced and consumed by an addiction to pornography. There's no question about it. The FBI's own study
1: on serial homicide shows that the most common Interest serial killers
2: is nah, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I mean, I buy that, you know, like serial, uh, pornography could be a common interest among serial killers as it is amongst just dudes. It's a common interest amongst dudes. But, the, but like think about the, Oh my God, the, the amount of guys who are into porn is fucking staggering. It's, a, it's not a multi-billion dollar industry by accident. And how many people are out there just chopping up women very, very, very few there's n- there's not enough even close to make any type of like correlation to me, this is just him like he doesn't want to be like no, I'm a complete fucking piece of shit I'm a monster, and yeah, I'm an evil fuck he which he did say earlier he's not saying that now the, the, that that interview was like hours before he died, and uh i I just don't buy it I just do not buy it at all um uh, I I think there's no cause and effect relationship. I think certain people are are just broken in a certain way that makes them more susceptible to violent acts. They have a a violent nature, in my opinion. And then, you you know, sure, if you expose that violent nature to something like violent porn, maybe that gives them inspiration to do a certain thing to people, but I think they would have done something similarly heinous if they hadn't been exposed to that, you know? And then they would end up blaming something else for inspiring them. It's like like blaming violent video games uh, or death metal on murder, as people have done. You know, games, music, porn, it's all fantasy. And only mentally ill people or people with a pre-existing violent disposition are going to cross that line from fantasy to reality. You can get rid of all the porn, violent video games, violent music. People are still going to do fucked up shit. I mean, look at medieval Europe. People were being raped and tortured and murdered constantly. And there was no porn, movies, games, or heavy metal. No one was like, well, I didn't want to hurt those women, but then I heard Blake the Bard's devilish harp solo, and I just needed to stick my dick where it didn't belong. I don't know where that guy's from in Europe. That was like a, like a hodgepodge of accents is my accents. Here are? But you know what I mean. It's like, come on, dude. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, he, later in the video, he does say, he's like, uh, we are not inherent monsters. We are your sons, your husbands, blah, blah, blah. And pornography can reach out and grab any of us. No, it, no, uh-uh. What a piece of shit. You just rationalize yourself as a as fucking victim. That's what makes me really mad about that. Really, dude, you're the victim? Oh, I was a great guy, but then, you know, porn got a hold of me and... And now I just carry the guilt of raping and torturing all those women and girls, but really I was I was being tortured and raped too by porn. The old circle of of rape and torture. No, you're a monster. 1.2 in the video, he says it snatched me out of my home twenty years ago. Oh, God. Come on. You just this is hours before your execution. You're just trying to ease your conscience, you know, for some potential afterlife. Just because you got a real Christian at the end, too, as a lot of felons do. Uh, sorry, God, yeah, you know I'm a Christian, right? I, I, I just need heaven after all the, all the hell I've been through. Boy, just jerking off to all that porn and killing all those women. It was pure hell. Uh huh. Here's why I think he did it. I think if you look at what uh, Bundy said before his final interview, I think he was a lot more honest. Like after he was first caught, he was way more candid in some of his early interviews. Here, here are some quotes. Uh, one is, I just like to kill, I wanted to kill. Another one is murder is not about lust and it's not about violence. It's about, about, possession. Dude was clearly very into control, you know, with the time he spent with the victims afterwards, even the suicide hot, uh, hotline operator. He liked feeling like in control of people's lives. Clearly, uh, another quote, what's one less person on earth anyway. Sadly, I relate to that one a little bit. You know, sometimes when like a shitty, <laughs> when a shitty person dies, I'm like, eh, well, okay. But he took it a little far. He took it a little far. Uh, Quote, You feel the last bit of breath leaving their body. You're looking into their eyes. A person in that situation is God. Okay. Again, clearly about control. And then the sociopath thing. He says uh, another quote of his uh, from early on is, "I don't feel guilty for anything. I feel sorry for people who do feel guilty." Uh huh. Sociopath. And now uh, another thing I wondered though too was, why did why did he just start doing it in like you know at 27 years old? What was like? Was there a catalyst? Yes, yes, there was. Uh, In late 1966, uh, 19-year-old University of Washington student Ted, shy, meek, slight in frame, guy who was picked on in high school, never had a serious girlfriend. He enters a relationship with the gorgeous and wealthy California girl Stephanie Brooks. Brooks was Ted's whole world. Uh, Everything that I've read about this points to he was madly in love with her, madly in love with Stephanie. She cared for him, but not as deeply. And, uh, and after her graduation from UW in 1968, she breaks off the relationship, heads back to California. She said she didn't see a future in Ted, and this fucking sticks in his head. Uh, she didn't think he was ambitious enough. And so he kind of dedicates his life. You know, he decides, I'm going to go to law school, uh, all these things. And, and there definitely is a, is a coincidence where a lot of his future victims bore a striking resemblance in age and appearance to Stephanie. Same kind of hair, hair done the same way, same frame, same facial structure. Um. So that happens to him. He gets his breakup. Uh, and then, right after the breakup in 68, early 69, is supposedly when he, he, he's out in Burlington, Vermont, visiting family, and finally learns about Grandpa Dad and all that shit. Um, that's going to fuck your head up. Just boom, boom. Big breakup. Oh, and by the way, your family's not who you think they are. Yeah. So that, okay. You take somebody who's already, you know, clearly has something inherently wrong with them, and then you add those two pieces of the puzzle. Not good. And then apparently right after he he, those two things, he goes from being shy and timid to kind of cool, cold, focused. Uh, And again, tries to become the man that Stephanie, he thinks, uh, would have wanted, Uh, the law school. You know, he goes in. But then, okay, so right after he enrolls in law school, he's dating this other girl. But then he goes on the side, and he gets Stephanie back. He gets her to fall back. She likes this new Ted. She likes this new focused Ted, this in-control Ted. Woos her, asks her to marry him. And then two weeks after they get engaged... Bam, cuts off contact for good. And, and, and I think, again, this is about control. He's fucking in control now. He calls the shots. You know, it's not a coincidence. Just a few months after that, a few months is that's when the Pacific Northwest murders begin. And that's when he goes on a killing spree. Uh, as long as he's not incarcerated, he is killing, like, just a few months after that. And, uh, yeah, he was just a sick little fuck of a man who clearly didn't handle rejection well. He was very intelligent in very deep ways. And he just spent the rest of his life you know, hurting women after being hurt himself. You know, it's like, oh, I wasn't good enough for you before? Fuck you. Now you can feel the pain of being rejected. Oh, and I'm not going to go talk to a therapist about this. Instead, I'm just going to brutally murder people who remind me of you. Live out some sick fantasy. And uh, yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so that is Bundy. That is Bundy. That is the, the gist of who he was and what he did. And now, uh, without further ado, Top 5 Takeaways. Time suck. Top 5 Takeaways. Top 5 Takeaway, number one, Colorado was a great place to be incarcerated in the 70s. Apparently, uh, fairly easy to let yourself out. Number two, don't hitchhike, especially if you're a young, attractive woman. You know, the few times I've actually seen a young, attractive woman hitchhiking, I do always have the exact same thought. I'm like, are you trying to get killed? Are you trying to be murdered? the fuck are you doing don't do that number three you can't blame murder and rape on porn sorry perverts if you're out there killing and or raping you're a sick fuck who deserves to die uh horribly it's no one's fault but your own at all number four uh letting your kid grow up with a grandpa daddy and a mommy sister probably not the best way to go ever not saying it's what made bundy bundy uh but it can't help things I, d- I doubt you uh, will run into a lot of, like, you know, PhD college professors who are like, yeah, I'd like you to be my grandpa, dad. <laughs> yeah, not a, lot of, not a lot of super successful people are going to have that backstory. And number five, uh, Ted Bundy is as evil as you get, man. There may have been people who committed more murder and mayhem. There certainly were. Hitler, Genghis Khan, Stalin, et cetera. But I think Bundy is as evil as any of those guys and just anyone. Like, he's maxed out on the violent sociopath chart. Uh, to do such heinous things and in such a personal way, to literally take Polaroids of the light going out in women's eyes. I mean, he, want, he he wanted to see them be right there in their face when they die. Holy fuck. So as a positive takeaway from this episode, if you've done some bad things and you're thinking, man, I am such a piece of shit. I didn't mow the lawn again. Take comfort in not being nearly as bad as Bundy. Or if after listening to this podcast, you, you don't even understand what the fuss is about. You're like, what's the big deal? I don't know. How is he a bad guy? Please stop listening to this podcast. Forget you ever heard of me. Never go to a show. Never, ever go to one of my shows. I do not need an evil fan uh, figuring out where to find me uh, and my head ending up in their fridge. Time suck. Top five takeaways. So there you go, guys. That was, uh, that was, that was Bundy. Um, we didn't even come close to 30 minutes. I tried, but man, there's just so much. I, I feel like I did a good job getting, getting that in, in under 45 minutes. And and again, thanks for listening. Uh, Thanks for the the topic suggestions. You know, I'll I'll mix it up. I'll I'll take some of yours. I'll I'll go with some of mine, and uh, we'll just see where this train takes us all. Uh, I hope you're enjoying learning about some weird things. And and if you want to see pictures of some of the things I talked about, I'm going to put pictures of uh, Ted's abduction kit, uh, pictures of Stephanie Brooks, uh, the woman whose breakup was, was again the kind of the catalyst. To get him going on his murder spree, uh, a terrifying pic of Ted representing himself in court, and then also a way too normal looking Ted in court. All that's going to be on TimeSuckPodcast.com, and you can you know access that on your on your mobile device or uh, any other device and uh, check out those pictures and, and you know enjoy your week, and never ever forget that uh, work can always wait. There's always time for timesuck. <laughs>